please help my dad to preach good and please help him to have the courage to talk and give details that he hasn't ever given before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, John Michael. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the sermon this morning is you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And this is directly from the scripture that we're going to be looking at in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And as we're reading this this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read through it all together, and then we'll uh, go back and look at it individually. And so you guys, you don't have to stand or, or read along out loud with me, but I would encourage you to read along in the scripture with me. And so, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In, in these few verses, we see here Peter, who is talking to these individuals who are scattered uh, throughout the region, and, and we, if you remember in chapter 1, he called them exiles, and as we see in this passage, he brings that language back. And he is calling them not only as exiles for some reason. Uh, some, some people think that they're exiles, that they were uh, there on the day of Pentecost and that they heard of Jesus in that way and they went back to their homes and they're exiles in that sense. Uh, there's a lot of different um, opinions about what that exactly means. Um, but what we know is, is that they're not just exiles uh, here on earth from wherever they were from. Uh, they are exiles in the sense of they are not in heaven, which is our home as Christians. And so we, while we are here on earth, are exiles, and we are not home yet. We still experience the pain and the suffering. We still experience the temptation and the sin. We still experience those things on the side of eternity. We're not home yet. We are exiles. We, we are, are here for a purpose. If God wanted to take us to heaven as soon as we accepted him, as soon as we followed him, as soon as we put our faith in him, as soon as we were saved, then he would. But he has left us here for a purpose. He has given us a purpose. He has called us to a purpose. In the sermon this morning, when we look at these words, there's no way for this to not challenge us. There's no way for this to not encourage us. And so I want to remind you, going back to verse 9, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now, remember, Paul is, sorry, Peter is not talking to only Jewish people. He is talking to all believers. And 
And, and this, what he's saying here, if you were to go back to Exodus 19, 5 and 6, where the men's class uh, on Wednesday night, they're in chapter 20 right now of Exodus, so they're right in that area. If you were go, to go back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, you would see that they are called this very thing. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And here, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. This is not an accident. God called the Israelites with the Mosaic covenant, with the covenant he made with Moses and the Israelites. He called them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he gives us a call as Christians, as followers of Jesus today. This this call that was given to the Israelites in the Old Testament, when we go forward to the New Testament through Jesus, we have been adopted in and we are considered this chosen race, the royal priesthood. But it's not a chosen race and a royal priesthood to be exclusive and to exclude people from what's going on. It is an exclusive thing, but we are to reach the nation so that people can be included into this royal priesthood. But let's just look at these words. First of all, we're chosen. We've talked about that. We are chosen uh, for God's glory. Yes, it's for our benefit that we are saved. Yes, it is good that we get to go to heaven and not to hell. And there are some really incredible things about salvation and life with Jesus that are good for us. But we have to remember that, that yes, God saved us for our good, but he's also saved us for his glory. And we cannot, God, when he saves us, God, when he has a purpose, when he has a task, if God were to put anyone else's needs above his own, ultimately, then he would be making them his God. And God cannot have a God. That's a confusing thought. But ultimately what it means is this, is that God knows what's best. And the best thing for us is for God to be glorified, for us to lift him up, to magnify him, to make much of him in our lives, and to to show that with our actions, not just with our words, not just with showing up at, at church on Sunday mornings, but being the church every single day. And so we are to make sure that we realize that we have been chosen for a purpose. You have been chosen for a purpose. And it's easy to forget that. And it's easy to forget the, the purpose of, for which we were chosen. Many of us start thinking selfishly, I know I do, of the benefits of being chosen. But ultimately, the reason we were chosen was to exalt God and to glorify Him. And so everything that we do needs to fit into that picture. Does everything we do go to honor God, to exalt Him, to glorify Him? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This does not say that you are a chosen race and with one priest, does it? It adopts all of us into this priesthood. And this isn't new language, just in the New Testament. This is what God told Moses in the Old Testament and the Israelites. Go down the mountain. Tell the people to come to me. Tell them that they are to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And here we are told the same thing for our sake. We are to be a royal priesthood. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you consider yourself 
a priest, I doubt many of you would raise your hand. But what does this say? You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. It is our job to, to glorify God and to make him known to people who do not know him. John Piper said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Here's what that means. The reason that we do missions is because there are people in the world who don't worship God. The end of missions is not missions. The end of missions is for people to know God and worship Him. You get to play a part in that. We don't just give to an offering. That is an important part of what we do because it enables people who God calls to go and to be missionaries in other cultures in different places. Um, It might be right here near us, but it's to reach a culture that we are not reaching, reach a, a a language that we are not reaching, reach a people group that we are not reaching. And so it's very important that we support our missionaries who are going around Arkansas and around the world to make him known. But we shouldn't do that to the point that we forget that we are also missionaries. Every single one of us. We are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. We are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. And your job as priests starts with you. It starts in your home. I I attended a Lifeway conference this past week, and I want to read to you a quote that was said at the conference. After surveying 2,000 healthy, active adult church members, it was discovered that by far the number one factor in them staying in church after high school graduation was the Bible being read to them or by them in their homes. Our job as priests starts in our homes. I asked John Michael if he wanted to pray for me before I spoke, before I preached. That's all I asked him if he would do, pray for me before I preached. I didn't tell him the words or what to say. Um, he, he is saved. He gave his heart to Jesus a couple of years ago. And we have a family time in our home almost every single night. And the reason he knows how to pray is because it's been modeled for him in our home. And it is our job as parents to model this. It is our job as parents to make sure that we are the number one ministers to our children. It is not my job to be the number one minister to your kids. It is your job to be the number one minister to your kids. I have a job, I have a role, I have a purpose, I have a God-given call, and I have a biblical mandate to do a specific thing that we will discuss later in this message. And just as I have a call, you have a call. Just as strong as my call to be a pastor, you are called to be a royal priesthood. And we have forgotten this. We have forgotten this. We have paid men to do our ministry for us. 
we have hired preachers, youth ministers, not that there's anything wrong with me or Matt, but we have hired people to do our ministry for us. Now, not all of you, obviously. We have a, a lot of incredible ministry going on through our church and through you as individuals, and I have nothing to do with some of those ministries. You guys are the force behind that, and I'm incredibly grateful and thankful. But we have a responsibility as royal priesthood, and it starts in the home. So if you want to take notes, number one is it starts in the home. If we are going to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation, it starts in our home. If the number one factor in a teenager, when once they graduate high school, they become an adult, if the number one factor of a teenager staying in church is by far the Bible being read by them or by someone else in their home, then we have a responsibility as parents. Some teenagers, some five-year-olds, well, five-year-olds, a lot of them can't read, so that was, you know, but bear with me. Some young children, some teenagers, will not read the Bible if you give, it, give them the choice. They won't play outside if you give them the choice. And that's, that, playing outside is pretty fun. But reading the Bible is pretty fun. We have a responsibility to make sure that it is being read. If we're the ones reading it, it is being read. If we have to schedule a family time, a morning devotion or an evening devotion, an evening time where we can come together as a family, where we can read our Bible together, whether it's just you in your home or you and a spouse or however far that goes. We have a responsibility to be ministers to our children. And look, I understand that with something like this being said, there comes a flood of remorse for things we didn't do, and that's not the intention of this sermon. The intent, if, if there are things that, that we could have done better, if there are sins that we have committed, if, there are th- if we have neglected the spiritual um, health of our family, then yes, we should repent. But we don't have to live hanging on to our past mistakes. We can move forward. And so starting today, what needs to change? And there is accountability. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a personal quiet time where you're spending time with the Lord by yourself. We all should. But there is accountability when we have devotions as family when we are reading the Bible together, when we are studying His words together. So it starts at, in the home. But our job as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, it, it, it's not just in the home. But I will say this before I move on to point number two. We can't just pretend to be holy in public and not be holy in our households. And when I say the word holy, as it is used many times in Scripture, of course, only God is holy. But we are given his holiness through Jesus Christ. And, and we are to strive to be holy like he is holy. We are to strive to obey him. And of course, we're going to fail at that. Of course, we're going to make mistakes. And we, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, and we strive to, to do right in the future. But we have a responsibility to be legitimate, wholehearted, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, people-loving Christians. 
Not just outside of our homes, but in our homes. A lot of young people who stop going to church as they get older do so because their parents who made them go to church lived one way in public and another way in the house. We have a responsibility. For those of you who still have children in your homes, we have a responsibility to be role models to them, to show them what it looks like for someone to love Jesus and to follow him. We have a responsibility. But it doesn't just stay in our home. It continues in the church. If we are believers, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then yes, we have a responsibility in our home, but we also have a responsibility in our church. I'm going to read to you the top three factors that keep teens in church when they reach 18 to 23-year-old range, that range. And, and th- these three factors are, d- are the answers from surveying the, the, the kids who stayed in when they became adults. It, it's not just asking people why they left. They found the ones who actually stayed in church and asked them, why did you stay? Number one thing they saw in common was the Bible intake. But we've already mentioned that. Number two, parents attended with them in a committed way. Their parents went to church with them in a committed way. So we as parents have a responsibility not just to send our kids to church, but to go to church with them. And we as parents have a responsibility not just to go to church with our kids or our grandkids, but we have a responsibility to show them how to be the church. We have a responsibility to be active church members because just showing up on a Sunday morning is not going to be enough for a young person to feel a need to remain invested. Because, to be honest, if I was 18, and the extent of my living for God in the body was attendance on Sunday morning, then I might not come back either. If I was 18, and the extent of my connection with the local body was having to hear some dude like me preach, I might not come back either. But it's more than that. If This is not the extent of what church is. This is a little ounce of it. And we have a responsibility to be the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that priesthood, that responsibility starts in your home. It continues in the church. Let me... Read number three, the, the, the third significant, sorry, not my third point in the sermon, but the third reason, the third factor why 18 to 23-year-olds stay in church is they have significant relationships with adults in the church, and this is not counting their parents. 88% of adults who dropped out after attending as teens had no investment from adults. 88% of them who dropped out had no investment from adults. How many of us in this room right now have a relationship, a healthy, safe, accountable with other people in the room relationship with a teenager in our church? I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I know the answer. We have a responsibility. I've said this quote before, but this rocked me 
when I read it as a 19, 20-year-old many years ago. Erwin McManus, in his book, An Unstoppable Force, he says, we have upheld our standards of pews and hymns, but we have lost our children to Satan. And a lot of us say, but what could we have done? Well, here's what we can do. We can read the Bible to our children in homes. We can attend church with them in a committed way. We can be the church with them. And number three, we can have a relationship with them for those of us who are not their parents. We can love them. We can go to their sporting events. We can cheer for them. We can listen to their terrible seventh grade band concert. We can go to the hospital when they're sick. We can do whatever we can do. And if, if this is the job of the youth minister or the pastor, children are going to, a lot of children are going to view that as that's their job to do it. A lot of adults view it as that. It's not your job, though, or is it? In the sense of you getting paid for it. So when you're there, how much does it mean to them? I know, I've seen it. I've been there when our children were born and our friends and our family and our church members came to visit us in the hospital. I've seen the significance of what it means to have friends. So 88% dropped out if they had no significant relationships with an adult in the church. Um, if the student had two to three, just two to three invested adults, that number went from 88% to 58%. A 30% drop in the likelihood of them not continuing in church after graduation just by two to three adults having an invested relationship with them. We can do this. We don't even have that many teenagers. We don't, we don't have that many children. It's easy to start where we are. It's easy to start with what we have. And if we're faithful in building these relationships and in mentoring these kids and loving these kids and being role models for these kids and showing them what the church looks like when it's active, then God will bless us. We will grow. Because if we've been faithful with what he has given us, he will give us more opportunities. But on the flip side of that, if we're not faithful, I don't have to finish. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That would be the spiritual leaders and teachers in the church. He gave them for this reason, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He didn't give us preachers or youth ministers or deacons or whatever um, for them to be the only ones who do the ministry. He gave us teachers, shepherds. He gave us those people to equip the whole church for the work of the ministry, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You are a, ro a royal priesthood and a holy nation, and that doesn't just mean in your home, and it doesn't just mean in our church. It doesn't stay in the home, and it doesn't just continue in the church. It goes to the nations. It starts with our closest relationships, your nuclear family, the, your core family, the, your spouse, your kids, whoever 
lives in a home with you. And it starts with the people you share an office with or the cubicle next to you at work or the mechanic next to you at work, whatever the case might be. It starts with the kids in the classroom with you or the teacher in the classroom with you. It starts with your neighbors. That's where it starts. And it continues with your acquaintances, your extended family, your coworkers, the whole school, not just your classroom, your whole neighborhood, not just your neighbors. And, and it even goes to strangers, strangers in the grocery store, strangers in our town, and strangers to the ends of the earth. We have a responsibility. We are the chosen race. We are the royal priesthood. We are the holy nation. We have a responsibility, a God-given gift, a God-given call to be able to live for Him and to take His name to the ends of the earth. And it starts here. It starts in our homes. It starts right here. And God has given us this gift. If this feels like a burden, if this feels overwhelming then all that means is, is that you're not where you need to be with God right now. It doesn't mean that that's where you're going to be forever. That's just what it means for right now. And we can help you move from it feeling as a burden to it feeling like a gift. Now, is it difficult sometimes? Yes. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. A couple of weeks ago, I was so frustrated at home, and I was trying to be a holy nation, holy person I was trying to be like Jesus and I, I had to go just be out in the garage for a few minutes because it sometimes it's hard to be who God has called us to be sometimes it's hard to live up to the calling but we have to know that God has empowered us to do so that he has, if he's called us to do it, he will equip us to do it. We, we individually can determine where we need to start. What is our starting place from, from today on? It, if you're not a Christian, then that's your starting place. Give your life to Christ. Trust him. You get to be a part of this chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You get to be a part of that if you follow him. If you are a follower of Jesus... And, and you're not having a, a personal quiet time or time in your home, then start reading the Bible in your home. It is the power of God. He will use His Word to transform us. But we can't just read His Word. We have to obey His Word. We have to live His Word. We have to do His Word. And this might sound impossible, but it's, it's not. It's just a matter of priority. It's just a matter of making sure that we get in line with what is important to God. And when we do that, by the way, that is when we will have the most joy. That is when we will have the most purpose in our lives. I hope you are feeling called this morning because you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen? Has he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? Is it marvelous? Because some of you look like you've been sucking on a lemon this morning. What's going on here? I hope it's just that you're thinking about these things. This is a beautiful call. This is what our purpose is. 
Some of you have been attending church for many, 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 many years, and you've wondered why church seems boring. This is why it's boring, because we're not living in the purpose of what we have been called. Our purpose is not just to show up and listen to a sermon. Our purpose is to be the church. Amen? I'm going to pick on you, Jason. I never do this, but I've got to, okay? So the last few weeks, I've been getting text messages from Jason, and they've just been getting me fired up because he, I could tell, has been awakened to this truth, that he has a purpose. That, not that he didn't already know this, but it's to a new level. And, and, it, and, and his concern has gone beyond just him, beyond just his family, and to our church. And that's what it's about. And it doesn't stop there. It goes beyond the walls of this church. Our hearts shouldn't just break for our church when we're not being the church that God has called us to be. Our hearts should break for the kid who lives across the street, or for some of you, the pastor of the mountain. Our hearts should break for them because they don't have a relationship with him. Our hearts should break for their parents Because the reason they don't have a relationship with him is because their parents aren't teaching them the truth of Jesus. Not all, but some. Our concern should start in our home, and it should go to our church, and it should break out of these walls, and it should break out of this town, and it should be to the nations. And some of you, some of you that are in this room right now are going to be called to higher levels of leadership. Some of you are going to be called to a level of leadership where you are going to be a pastor or an elder in some form of fashion. Or fashion. You're going to be a deacon. You're going to be a missionary. You're going to be a Sunday school teacher. You're going to have a role of leadership in our church. And some of you in this room already have that role of leadership. And it is our responsibility to be who God has called us to be. We owe it to the people who came before us in this church, for the people who have passed on, for those of you who have put in decades of labor and sweat and tears for the sake of God's kingdom and for the sake of this town and for the sake of this, this biblical community, this church, we owe it to the people who came before us. We owe it to the people who come after us. We owe it to our children and our grandchildren. We owe it to the people who need to know him. Fewer and fewer people are children are going to church we need to make sure that we are doing our part in not just our family but in our community and to the ends of the earth so where are you this morning what do you need to do my invitation is this god convicted some of you of something during this sermon my prayer is that you will not just sit there and think oh that was a good sermon or oh man that scripture that was great even though philip really only got to verse 9 We have a responsibility to respond to what God has convicted us about. If we just sit here and say, I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Man, that was a good sermon. What's for lunch? And we just move on? Then nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change in your life. Nothing is going to change in your family. Nothing is going to change in our church. Nothing is going to change in our community. We have a responsibility and an urgency when God convicts us, when God speaks to our heart, 
to respond in that moment because we are not promised another moment of conviction. We are not promised another sermon like this that spoke to us in this way. We're not promised any of that. Some of you have heard sermons in your life that have been incredibly powerful and impacted you in that moment, but no change happened. And so, the power and impact stayed in that pew when you left. Don't let that happen. You respond to God in whatever way he's convicting you. I'm going to be right down here. If you need me to pray for you, I will pray with you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, then you can come to the altar and pray. If you want to come to me and say, this is what God has convicted me of, I'm going to do this, then come and tell me. And I'll, I'll hold you accountable in a healthy, loving way, in a friendly reminder type of way, and maybe a pestering type of way at some point. Whatever God is leading you to do, you respond in that way. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that this morning, as we read your word, as our purpose comes alive and, and why you have called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Lord, I pray that you would convict us and challenge us and help us to be every single thing that you desire us to be. Lord, help us to be ministers in our homes. Help us to be ministers in our church. Help us to be ministers in our community and to the ends of the earth. God, I pray for those that you have been working on their hearts right now. I pray that they would respond to you in an honest, sincere, powerful way where their life is never the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Let's stand.